<clears throat> Welcome to Cornerstone. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm Lucas Austin. I'm an elder here. Uh, from time to time, we fill in for Mike. Uh, if you're new, if you're visiting, uh, come back next week. Make sure you get to hear Mike. Uh, I think Mike's around today, though, if you want to meet him. Uh, he, he'll be around. Also, welcome to our online viewers today. Uh, it's a great ministry we have here at Cornerstone. Uh, we hope you can come see us uh, sometime soon, but I uh, hope you enjoy the message today as we get to continue in our sermon series uh, we've been doing for several weeks called Come and See. And really the theme has been, is Jesus who he says he is? Uh, is, he the, is he fully God and is he fully human? Is he the Son of God? Mike's covered several topics. Uh, we've been going through the book of John, the Gospel of John, and uh, <clears throat> I've been battling a little bit of a cold here. You guys have to bear with me. Uh, throughout the book of John, though, uh, Jesus openly claims to be the Son of God, uh, and that's kind of where we've been going with this Come and See series. Um, it wasn't coincidental that uh, Abby read from John 17 today. Uh, I kind of cheated a little bit, and uh, I, I, I thought that we needed to at least hear the whole prayer in John 17, uh, and Abby done a great job. It's not easy reading all that, uh, but compared to me, she sounded like someone reading poetry. Uh, <clears throat> I read like a PE teacher. Uh, we, would, we would still be reading that probably. Um, as some of you may know, uh, the... This prayer here we find in John 17 is often called the high priestly prayer or the farewell prayer. So we're going to kind of be honing in on that just a little bit. But just to give you an idea of where we're at in the Gospel of John, uh, Jesus has entered Jerusalem. He's in his final legs of his ministry here. And we know in just a few days uh, that he'll be uh, placed under arrest and eventually put on the cross for us. Uh, some believe this prayer happened in the upper room with the disciples, uh, and others believe that maybe they were walking from the upper room down to the garden, uh, and kind of gives us the hint if we, in the beginning of chapter 18, it says, uh, be begins by saying they crossed the Kidron Valley and entered the garden. Uh, a couple other things about the prayer, uh, not only is it the longest prayer, it pretty much spans the, the whole, uh, the whole chapter there, it's probably the longest recorded prayer we have of Jesus. But also, uh, we can divide it into three parts here. Uh, Jesus prays for himself, Jesus prays for his disciples, and Jesus prays for us future believers. Uh, as we'll see as we get into it a little bit here today. Um, have you ever met someone that just seems to have the gift of praying? Uh, not necessarily... Uh, a great performance when they're praying out loud or anything like that. I guess what I'm talking about, a, a better example would be like if you could listen into someone's prayer that was truly broken or somebody that was truly joyful. If we could listen into that prayer, uh, we would probably have an insight kind of into their soul, so to speak. Um, I've kind of had an opportunity to, to witness that a little bit here lately. A few weeks ago, I was, I've got a little uh, box in my truck, and just to tell you what that's about, when Abigail was younger, uh, Abigail's my young, uh, oldest daughter, I called her my youngest daughter, but when she was kindergarten, first grade, you know, she had, she had a lot of anxiety about going to school, and Ashley had this thing she would do with her, 
<clears throat> and we put this little box in our truck, and she would pull a card out, and uh, she would write down all of her worries about the day, and then she would flip over and she would write a little prayer, you know, uh, to go along with it. Uh, and I was recently, I was just cleaning the truck out and came across that box and was looking at them, and she knows I look at them. Uh, but you get an opportunity, you can really feel like how Abigail felt on that day. And then to flip it over and see like a genuine prayer between a six-year-old praying to the Father. Uh, I think that's kind of what we can experience here when we, when we read John 17. Uh, we, can, we can really feel the emotion of Jesus, um, the, the intimate prayer between Father and Son, uh, the sincerity of Jesus and the love that he has for his disciples and for us really shines through uh, as we read this prayer. And, you know, just knowing that Jesus knew that he, would, he was going to suffer in just a, you know, a matter of a few hours or a couple of days, he was going to go through some pretty, pretty uh, severe things. Uh, so when we read it, thinking about the through that lens, uh, I think we can really get the main idea of the prayer. I do want to reread uh, here the intro uh, before we jump into my first point. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up at heaven and said, so you can imagine him praying. He's got his palms facing uh, upward, and he's, he's looking up, and he's saying, uh, <clears throat> Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that... He can give glory back to you, for you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one of you, each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. So we can see here the real intimate relationship between father and son uh, and the genuineness of Jesus coming out already as he's uh, trying to glorify God, so to speak, uh, or as he says, quite literally, he wants to bring God to glory. And we should want to bring God glory through the way we live, throughout, through our day-to-day -day actions and thoughts and interactions. We can see Jesus' divinity here, as we talked about earlier. Uh, John's, uh, the Gospel of John's uh, famous for uh, when he says he claims to have been there when the world began. Uh, and it's not the first time he said it. In John 1, 1, in the beginning of the chapter, he said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So we really get to see, is, you know, Jesus is who he says he is. He's fully God, even though he came to earth for us. Uh, and I'm going to jump into our first point here. Point one, Jesus is our high priest. <clears throat> now, when we hear that, uh, you know, it doesn't really mean a whole lot to us. But if you uh, view it from the lens of the Jewish people of the day, um, they, they understood what a high priest was. They understood it, it, had a, it had a big meaning to it that Jesus was our, now our high priest because for somewhere around 1,500 years up until then, they had been under the sacrificial system, uh, the law of Moses, and they're complete with high priest and sacrifice, animal sacrifices. Um, and, uh, you know, it was God's intention from the beginning for 
to be able to dwell with us. A few weeks ago, Larry done a standalone message on the tabernacle. If you were here, you got to learn all about the sacrificial system, the duties of the high priest, and how that thing was set up. And uh, just, you know, I remember when Larry was talking about it, I just thought, man, this is real strange, all this stuff. Uh, but, you know, to understand it and understand what the high priest means, we kind of got to dig into it just a little bit. And, uh, you know, when Larry was going through that, it kind of struck me, you know, and then when I done this message, I understood that God was trying to show me, you know, how Jesus is our high priest. Uh, so in the beginning, God created everything. He created man and woman in the garden, uh, and he, he was present there with them. And later, he would be present with the people in the tabernacle, which was basically a mobile temple. <clears throat> and uh, then later, King Solomon would build a temple. So in the Old Testament, as Larry so gracefully uh, explained to us, uh, the high priest's primary function was to maintain and assure as well as reestablish the holiness of the chosen people of God. So the holiness uh, to be in God's presence is important. These men would offer sacrifices and represent God's people in the earthly presence in God's earthly temple. The high priests were the only people who could go into the most holy place where God was said to dwell above the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, even then, he could only go in there once a year on the Day of Atonement. Uh, and he, he also had to offer up a sacrifice for himself and a sacrifice for the people. And if you remember, that had to be without blemish. Um, and then he would also have to burn some incense and essentially smoke his way into there. So he couldn't, so just so he wouldn't catch a glimpse of God, because God is so holy that it would just kill him immediately. Uh, and Larry uh, instructed us that they would tie a rope around the high priest as he went in there, just in case uh, things went wrong, nobody could go in after him. So um, even uh, I lost my place. The whole thing thing seems a little strange. Uh, but it reinforces just how serious sin is and how holy God is. Uh, it, it was an annual reminder if humans would ever be able to come into the presence of God, then it was going to have to be on God's terms and God providing the means. Sacrifice was always about people trusting God that he would provide the way to bring uh, his people back to him. So saying that Jesus was our high priest was kind of a way of saying that that's God's way of dealing with our sin problem. Uh, and, to, you know, to say, to compare Jesus to the high priest of the Old Testament uh, was kind of a false, would kind of be a false statement. Jesus, uh, the, the high priest of the Old Testament, were merely a shadow of things to come. Uh, so the Old Testament, as we read it, it constantly points, points us towards Jesus, constantly points us towards Jesus. As we're reading it, it may be strange if we just opened it up and we didn't know anything and started reading some of this, it would, just be, it would seem crazy, but if we look at it through the lens of pointing us towards Jesus, we can get a, we can get a better idea how to understand it. And Hebrews 8 tells us this, here's the main point, we have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. 
And since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our high priest must make an offering too. If he were here on earth, he wouldn't, uh, would not be, he would not even be a priest since there are already priests who offer gifts required by the law. They serve in a system of worship that is only a copy or a shadow of the real one in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning. Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern I've shown you here on the mountain. But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us uh, a far better covenant with God based on better promises. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have not been a need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault in the people, he said, The day is coming when uh, the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. So here we kind of get a glimpse of what it means uh, for Jesus to be our high priest and what it meant to the Jewish people of the time. Uh, and we can kind of see how everything from the Old Testament points towards Jesus. I'm going to just jump into our second point here. Uh, it's not of the world, but sent into the world. You know, it's a little different than the popular saying um, that says, in the world, but not of the world, uh, which is a good saying if you think about it in the right context. But I like, uh, I read this this week, not of the world, but sent in the world, because Jesus truly does in verse uh, 13 through 19 you know, tells us that we're sent back into the world, and we'll read that again. Now I'm coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in the world, so they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word, and the world hates them because uh, they, not, they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one, making them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. Uh, so this week I read this, and it's from David Mathis. He had, the way he said it was way better than I could ever try to explain it to you, so I'll just read what I read. I thought it was really good the way he put it. So, in the, so the beginning place is being not of the world. And the movement is being sent into the world. Jesus' Jesus's assumption in John 17 is that those who have embraced him and identified with him are indeed not of the world. And now he summon, his summons is our sending. We are sent into the world on a mission to advance the gospel through disciple making. Jesus' true followers have not only been crucified to the world, but also raised to new life and sent back in to free others. We've been rescued from the darkness and given the light, not merely to flee the darkness, but to guide our steps as we go back in to rescue others. So I thought that was really good the way he put it. Uh, and notice there, he didn't say in the prayer, Jesus you know, said, we're going to send them send back in the world. He didn't say anything about isolating. He didn't say anything about... Uh, digging a hole and staying there until he comes back or storing up all kinds of goods and uh, just waiting on Jesus' return. Uh, that, in fact, happened. It reminds me of a story in Second uh, Thessalonians. Paul had traveled there, uh, and he converted the Thessalonians. 
And when he left, uh, which is the case in a lot of, if you read a lot of Paul's missionary journeys, he sets the church up, and then when, when he leaves, things kind of uh, go, go awry a little bit, and he always, that's why he's having to write these letters back to these churches and get them back on the path. <clears throat> so in Second uh, Thessalonians, we can read about a group of people after Paul left that just, they just said, well, Jesus is coming back, I'm just going to quit work. We're just going to hang out. We're just going to chill and wait for God, wait for Jesus to come back. Okay. And when Paul got wind of these things, of course, we can read on about how it got negative. Uh, one of the main ways it got negative was when they weren't busy, they started meddling in everybody else's business. Uh, and it caused a lot of problems within the church. Uh, so Paul had to rebuke them and remind them that, you know, we still got to live, we still got to work. You know, God gives us all a, a, an ability to do something in a trade or whatever it may be uh, for us to work here and stay busy and then be on mission for God. Je Jesus plainly says we're sent back to free others. And that's, that idea is kind of echoed in a very popular verse, Matthew 29 and 19. Um, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So the way I view it, if we're, if we're busy, we stay busy, we're doing kingdom work, uh, then chances are we're not being of the world. Uh, you know, probably uh, I, when I do fall, when I do mess up, I'm certainly not reading and studying my word at the time usually doing something else kind of what I'm getting at here you know and if we are of the world we're, we're still in the world Jesus said he's sending us back into the world we are going to have uh, <clears throat> temptations and it, in fact Jesus recognizes this and he recognizes it as the work of the devil you know we don't we don't often uh, <coughs> excuse me I'm sorry <laughs> this is my signal for Bronson to mute me Abby blocked his view. Uh, <clears throat> okay, where was I? <laughs> oh, yeah, I know what I was going to say. We don't talk a lot about Satan. Uh, we don't like giving him a lot of credit for anything. Uh, but he is real because the Word says he's real. And we can see that in Luke 18, or 10 and 18. And I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Okay? And in Genesis 3 and 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal. Uh, the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree of the garden? So this same serpent, this same evil one, he's, he's busy today, and, he, and you guys very well know it. He lures us away. He's crafty, uh, and he lures us away from the authority of God's Word by establishing ourselves as the authority. You know, we read some things in the Bible and we're like, well, I don't quite agree with that. I think my idea is a little better. Uh, we, all, we often end up worshiping ourselves, which is really easy to do, uh, rather than God. This leads us away from full devotion and obedience uh, to God. Paul expressed this to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 11. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Satan delights in leading believers away from, the, uh, from simple obedience to God's word and, and the delight in Christ, the Redeemer. 
<clears throat> John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. Uh, let us be aware of the devil's evil schemes and let us use uh, Jesus' prayer here as a model how to pray for ourselves and pray for others. Uh, Paul had this say to the Ephesians, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle you will still be standing firm. And we could read on in Ephesians, uh, and you should go read that section about, you know, exactly what that means. What is God's armor? Very specifically, there's some things listed there that are really good. Uh, in this section of prayer, too, Jesus also prays for our holiness. In verse 17, when he says, make them holy by your truth, teach them your, your word, which is truth. You know, in Christianese, you know, we often use the word sanctification or sanctify. And a matter of fact, in the ESV and some of the other versions, uh, it actually uses that word here. And sanctification literally means to set apart for special use or purpose uh, or to make holy. You know, and the process begins when you're saved, when you accept the Lord as your personal Savior and you receive the Holy Spirit. That's when the process of sanctification begins. And uh, you'll see a transformation if you take that 180 and start walking away from your old life and following Jesus. Uh, but it's real easy to, to veer off and get to hit bumps in the road and things like that. So it says to make them holy by truth. We know what the truth, the, the truth is God's word, it says. Uh, so shouldn't we be studying and uh, studying God's Word, isn't that what we should be doing? Um, you know, we're distracted very easily uh, in our day-to-day, -day, uh, and I'm talking to myself too, for sure. Uh, in Paul's second letter to the uh, Corinthian church, uh, the Holy Spirit reminds you of your personal responsibility towards holiness. Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit, and let us work towards complete holiness because we fear God. And <clears throat> one of the words that jump out there is like work towards complete holiness. You know, we, we're not going to have it together right, you know, right in the beginning of our transformation. You know, sanctification process is a lifelong uh, effort, you know, we have to keep growing and studying, and you know, getting growing closer to God and becoming more and more like Jesus every day. Paul also says this in Romans twelve one and two. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because all of all He's done for you. Let them uh, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find accept acceptable this is truly the way to worship him don't copy the behavior and customs of this world but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think then you will learn uh, to know God's will for you which is good and pleasing and perfect and um, you know the key word there is 
God transforms you into a new person. Uh, so, you know, just thinking back, you know, even thinking back in my own life, you know, one of the reasons, you know, I grew up in church and kind of ran for God, from God for a long time and, you know, turned my back on God through my college years and so on and so forth. Uh, and really, the real reason was I just wanted to live for me. You know, I wanted to live for me. I wanted to do what I wanted to do, not what God wanted me to do. And I certainly didn't plan on being up here talking to you guys and ran from that for, for a long time, too. Uh, but the thing is, God transforms you. Okay, so if you're worried about addiction, you know, I'm stuck in this addiction. I can't get out of it. Uh, it's not you that gets out of it. God gets you out of it. He transforms you. Uh, out of that addiction, you know, well, I like doing this, I like doing that, I just don't know if I'll be able to change. God can transform you. And this is a process, though, you know, not to say that you, you won't fall or mess up. You know, God's transforming us, and He has the power to do that. Um, so the way to holiness is to live by the Spirit if we have it, right? Uh, read, study, pray, do kingdom work, listen to the Spirit. Um, uh, it's nothing that we do, but what the Spirit does through us. If you remember the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Uh, self-control being a big one there, right? Um, remember what those are called, the fruits of the Spirit. Okay, Through the Spirit, those are produced. Not, not by, those aren't the fruits of Lucas Austin. Okay, those are the fruits of the Spirit. So when we're in tune, and you know, a few weeks ago we done a study on being in the vine. You know, when we stay in the vine, and if we stay in, you know, plugged into the vine, you know, and uh, you know, follow the Spirit. These are the fruits that we'll see in our lives. Okay, nothing, to, nothing that I do. Uh, this last section we're going to look at. Uh, where Jesus prays for us, you know, to think that 2,000 years ago, somewhere thereabouts, that Jesus knew who I was and, you know, prayed for me. You know, that's pretty amazing. And we see it in John 17, 20 and 23. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have, been given, the, I have given them glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that they... And that you love them as much as you love me. So to think that the creator of the universe loves you and me as much as he loved his own son uh, brings out our third point here. Jesus prays for unity among believers. <clears throat> now as we look at this, you know, not only talking about unity here in the church, but outside the church as believers too. You know, Mike said something a couple weeks ago that's kind of stuck with me. He said that, you know, the thing that separates Christianity from other religions is the fact that we believe Jesus is who he says he is. Uh, we recently, this summer, we've done a Discover Theology class. Uh, some of you guys, I'm looking around, some of you guys were in that. It was, it was a cool experience, probably my first uh, real uh, formal training in the Bible at all. 
so it was cool to, you know, dig in there a little deeper and learn about theology. One of my big takeaways was, though, that there's a lot of room for difference, differences, different opinions on a lot of different secondary issues. You know, we can think about how the end times are going to happen or this or that. You know, not much room for, not much wiggle room for primary uh, primary things, though. It's easy to find ways to, you know, uh, separate into different denominations. We see all the hundreds of different denominations. When you start looking into those, you know, some of the things that split them off were really silly. Things like how we dress, how we worship, what instruments we do or do not use. Um, uh, you know, anything from the what what hymnal you're going to use or what preacher or what style of preaching you're going to have. Uh, these are all these are all separating us in the Christian community, and uh, I believe that each church has a mission, and uh, you know some of those differences are good because it will attract different people. But at the end of the day, we got to be able to come together and realize that we're all on the same team. Um, God says to love God, love Him, and love others. Often, the hardest people to love are the people that we disagree with. Um, Jesus prays for us to have unity, so, you know, what are we waiting for, you know, what's, what steps do we need to take to get it started? I would say it starts with, with, with you, you know, uh, you, some of you guys may know, I've spoken of this before, I've got two or three guys that I work with, uh, coach with, that we're all different denominations, different backgrounds, so on and so forth. And we used to not talk about things of God because it always end up in the, we were afraid there was going to be some kind of argument or disagreement on some secondary issue. But we've made, a, the past couple of years, we've been intentional about just talking, uh, talking things out and understanding the differences. And a lot of times if you just get in there and talk it out, you'll see that you're not much different, that you're saying the same thing in a different way. Uh, here at Cornerstone, we have uh, small groups. We call them life groups. Uh, I learned recently that several of our women's groups especially uh, actually have members of all different kinds of other churches that come in uh, and, and join these life groups. Kind of the picture of what we're talking about is kind of inspiring to hear. Um, I'm not saying that anything goes. Okay, I'm just saying that instead of assuming that this person or that person is so much different than us or believe so much differently than us, how about we just ask and, you know, find out about it? You know, a perfect example of this is, you know, church collaboration is a ministry that we're close to here at Cornerstone. It's called Elijah's House. It's a warming shelter, if you're not familiar with it. We use our Center 242 and transfer, transform it into a warming shelter. I think it's 30 degrees or cooler. They'll make a decision off the weather that week that it'll be open. Uh, there's somewhere around 15 to 20 churches that have collaborated on this. Uh, and, and united to come together and accomplish something great. And when we come together like that, we can see great things happen. You know, not only are there churches involved, there's secular services that have came in and been a part of it. So churches working with, you know, other parts of the community to get it to get it going is, is awesome. So a group, and how that started was just a group of people decided to unify and accomplish something great for the community, a need for the community. 
you know, some of you may know I'm a teacher and a coach, uh, coach over at Grayson County High School, and I've coached, I coached a little basketball across country. But over the years, I've had some pretty talented teams, uh, you know, just loaded with talent. And um, a lot of times when you have these really talented guys, you get a lot of individuals, too. You get a lot of egos, okay? Not much unity and not much teamwork. They're always worried about, you know, how many points or their stats or whatever. Every once in a while, there'll be a special team that has that certain level of talent, which you got to do have some talent. But you got a group of guys that are just, they're just connected. They're a team. They're, they're unified. They're selfless. Um, you know, and those teams end up being the teams that are most, number one, most pleasant to be around. And number two, in my experience, have been the most successful uh, in terms of where we wanted to go. Uh, so unity is important. Here at Cornerstone, we're not exempt from, uh, from this problem. You know, there's all kinds of things here and even this church that could divide us. You know, we have to have unity, and to have unity, we got to have relationships. To have relationships, we have to be intentional about those relationships. Uh, it's real easy to come to church and then walk out the door, maybe wave at Mike and say hello and get on out of here. Uh, it, it takes a little intentionality to develop relationships and I'm talking to myself here I'm the biggest introvert in this place believe it or not and I'll put my head down and go straight out that door without speaking to anyone I've been trying to work on a little bit um, but you know it starts with us being intentional about developing relationships you know join a life group um, join the security team the hospitality team joining the free meal you know serving along beside you know, people with common beliefs here, that's how we become unified. Don't just sit back and say, well, I don't really fit in or nobody's really making the effort to talk to me. You know, a lot of times you got to go forward. That's, that's another work of the devil, you know, holding you back. When we understand how much God loves us, it leads us to be united in our mission. So I would invite you to come see this Jesus, especially if you don't know him. Uh, that is so filled with love, uh, a Jesus that cared enough uh, that he prayed for us over 2,000 years ago, a Jesus who loves deep enough to become a sacrifice for our past, present, and future sins. I believe that God's Word shows us that Jesus is who he says he is, uh, that Jesus is more than a great man, he was more than a great leader, a teacher, a rabbi, that he was 100% God and 100% human that he was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah, okay? And now he's seated at the right hand of God, that he's our high priest. Romans 3 and 23 says we all fall short of the glory of God. Uh, and then Romans 10 and 9, uh, if you don't know Jesus, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. Okay? And it is openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Interesting thing about the temples, I had this thought, you know, just popped in my head. You know, first we had the tabernacle, then we had the temple, and then God made it to where the Holy Spirit can dwell in us, and we are the, we are the temple. 
so God made it right. He, make, he makes us right to be in His presence, even though we still mess up. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, and he, He's good enough to cover you know, your future sins as well. As the praise team comes back up, uh, we'll move back. We'll move into our response time. Uh, here at Cornerstone, we have what we call response time. Uh, something new we're trying, we're, mess, we're playing around with a little bit is uh, Larry and somebody else will be back at the cross. If you want to pray, if you have questions, if you want to uh, talk about how to your next steps, you want to join a, a ministry or something, those guys back there can help you. Uh, if you just want to pray at your seat, uh, if you just want to worship at your seat, whatever whatever feels right for you guys in your, our response time here. But I would like to pray with us before we get going. Father God, we just like to thank you for this day. Uh, thank you for everyone that's here today, Lord, and thank you for John chapter 17. Uh, uh, thanks for the model uh, of how to pray, and uh, thank you for, you know, your son's ultimate sacrifice, uh, that we can ma- be made holy through him, uh, and that you can dwell in us. Uh, God, we love you, and we pray that each and every one will make it home safely and have a great week. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>